Good evening, Hope. Good to see you all. Let's open the Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. This is our, our practice and our conviction that we, we open the Bible book by book uh, uh, and go through its uh, pages line by line. That is how we hear from God in His Word. The Scriptures is revealed to us His own self, His own nature, His own personality, in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We know God because He revealed Himself to us. And we Know God because He revealed to Himself to us in Jesus. He, he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled God's law. He taught us what we needed to know. He died on the cross for our sins in our place. He rose again three days later. Amen? Amen. And He now rules and reigns in heaven. It is Jesus who is the Word of the Father. It is Jesus who is the picture of the Father. And as we come to every book of the Bible, the main question is, there's lots of other questions, but the main question is, where is Jesus here? How does this point us to Jesus? The, the be-all and end-all of the whole universe is Jesus. And so in Ephesians, we've been learning. What is the gospel of Jesus? Who is Jesus and how does he relate to the church now? And we know that in his resurrection and ascension, Jesus now rules as head over the church and also as head of the entire universe so that we are covenantally related to the king of the universe by faith and through the spirit, but also we are related to, to Jesus as, as a wife is to a husband. We relate to Jesus as the, the foundation of the church spiritual building. We relate to Jesus as the one who gives us, uh, uh, gives us gifts so that we can fulfill the mission of the church, which is to make disciples. We, we relate to Jesus as, as our great example in all of life. And that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 6. There is good news in Ephesians chapter 6, and, and, and as we've been looking at how, how Paul commands husbands and wives to relate to each other in headship and submission, as we look tonight at parenting and next week at, at employees and employers, part of the, the implied good news that has been in this, this chat, this, the, these last two chapters has been that no matter what life stage you're in, there is ways to serve Jesus powerfully. If you are a child, and maybe you're tempted to think, when I'm grown up, I'll do great things for Jesus. I can't wait till then. Well, the good news that Ephesians 6 tells us is there are things you can be doing right now that are actually very important for the future and amazing acts of obedience to Jesus. If you're a parent and you feel like once these kids have moved out and turn 18... Some of them, when they turn 13, they're out of here. Uh, or, or, or if you love them a bit more, you'll give them till 21. Or maybe when they get married. But maybe there's the temptation to think, once the kids are gone, then I can get busy in the church. Then I can get busy with ministry and mission trips. And, and Paul's command to you would be that though there are many ways to serve Jesus, if you are a parent very tied up with the busyness of that, See it as a ministry. There is immensely important things going on in your parenting, childhood, family life. means that maybe if, if you're older and you don't have young kids anymore, this passage shows us that, well, maybe you can't plan a church and preach, and maybe you're not being called to do big-looking things, but can you come alongside younger parents? Can you meet with those who are in need and, and help them understand from your experience these truths from Scripture? So no matter what part of life we're in, God would say to us that we are able to be ministers. We're able to be obedient and do something great 
for God in your current stage. I think that's a, a great encouragement to us. And now as we look at Ephesians 6, at this very practical, and we will be getting very practical tonight, I hope that all of us are able to take, take encouragement from the command of Paul. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he quotes the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. And then he quotes the promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Then he turns to the fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the word. We're hungry to be blessed by God's Spirit in our midst tonight around this passage. So may God do so in our midst. Amen? Amen. The first passage here, the first uh, word, in fact, in this whole, uh, whole passage starts with an address, person to person, to children. We're going to start talking about children, what, what your responsibilities are, especially as Christians, and then we'll look at parents and fathers. But first of all, children. The first thing Paul does for the children in our midst is that he assumes you are in church, right? Paul said, as he writes to the Ephesians, he doesn't have a little epistle plug, uh, stapled onto the back that goes to the kids' version of church or that, or that the parents take home to tell their kids. In fact, he assumes by, by a normal uh, uh, working of the church is that as parents are here, that also with them are, are most of the kids who are, who are able to listen and hear to what's going on. So if you're a child, if you are still under your parents' authority and you're still living at home, whether you be eight months, you don't understand what I'm saying, uh, or you're eight years, or you're 18 years, if you're in your family home under the authority of your parents, then you are, in some sense, a child. And so if you're here... God bless you. We are so glad you're here. You're here to learn and, and hear what God says to you. And one of the encouraging things is that Paul doesn't just say, hey, parents, here's what to, here's what to tell your kids. Hey, mums and dads, here's what you can tell your kids. In fact, the Apostle Paul doesn't just speak to the adults in the room. He speaks directly to the kids. I think that's encouraging. That if the Apostle Paul was here in person, he would be able to look in the eyes of the children and say, do you know that God has something specific to say to you tonight? Uh, so, so even though, on one hand, you can never escape the fact, children and adults, you can never escape the fact that you are a child of your mom and dad. You can never get away from that. You will always, until you die, and from the moment you're born, be a child of somebody. But just because you're never not a child of somebody doesn't mean you're not always more than a child of somebody. So if you're in a Christian home and your parents have brought you here tonight, you're not just the child of a Christian. God wants to speak to you personally and remind you he has good news for you. He has God's gospel for you. The, the Bible is written for you as well. The, the fact that you're a sinner is true of you. The fact that Jesus died on the cross is true for you, the fact that repentance of sins, uh, inheritance in, in, in heaven, and the Spirit living with, with us in this life, that is all on offer for you. So Paul's not just talking to the real Christians, the real people, all the adults. He's talking to you personally. And I think that gives you a sense of dignity or responsibility, right? You can't just say, well, maybe my parents will do the right thing. They'll be good Christians, and that's my, that's my obedience 
checking the box. No. No, Paul talks to you personally, as long as you can understand the words I'm saying. Paul speaks to you and says that you have an element of responsibility and you have dignity in yourself that you need to be pushing towards obedience. You have a way of glorifying Jesus that none of the adults have. You have a way of obeying Jesus that none of the parents have, which is childlike obedience to our parents. So that's a, that's a blessing for you, and we're very glad you're here tonight. <clears throat> Your parents have done, even if you didn't want to come, because WWE WrestleMania was on, or the female equivalent, I don't know. If you didn't want to come, but they brought you, they did the right thing. We're really glad you're here with us. So Paul addresses children, but he also tells you your most basic job in life, your most basic responsibility in life, and this is true for the young child or the teenager, the child's most ultimate, not ultimate, but the most basic responsibility in life is obey your parents, honor your parents. If the whole of the list of commandments that you might get from God's word could be boiled down to one thing for children, it would ultimately boil down to obey your parents in the Lord. And you might, with a little inner lawyer, say, hey, that doesn't sound like that. That, 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 that doesn't sound right. Shouldn't, me, shouldn't my ultimate job be to obey Jesus? And Paul says, well, yes, but that doesn't get you out of obeying your parents because your parents' first command to you will be obey God. And God's first command to you is obey your parents. So, so in fact, if you ever try and run away from obeying your parents, you'll meet Jesus pointing you back to them saying, obey me by obeying them. So the, the most rudimentary, the most boiled down, crystallized command that God gives to children is obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord means that this is a part of your obedience to Jesus is to obey your parents. He commands it, so it's a, it's a Christian thing to do. Now, some, some kids, maybe teenagers, thinking practically, it would probably be teenagers, young adults, who might be coming to church and have non-Christian parents. 0.01% of the time, obeying Jesus will mean disobeying your parents, okay? Don't read your Bible. Don't pray for me. Don't believe what the Bible says. Don't go to church, okay? 0.1% of the time, you'll need to disobey your parents to obey Jesus, but that does not mean that your whole life gets to be painted by the theme, disobeying parents unless it's really important. No, your whole life still needs to be obey just about everything they tell you unless it is black and white sinful against the Bible. That is your command at this season in life. And when you get older, the rules will slightly change, or at least you will graduate from that relationship. But at the moment, that is the most important part of your being a Christian. But for kids or for children that have Christian parents, it is even more universal. Just about everything your parents tell you to do, other than something directly sinful, is in fact your job to obey Jesus by obeying your parents. It speaks to both our behavior and our attitude. He says, obey your parents. That's your behavior. What do you do? You obey your parents. So whatever they say, 
the time that they set for bed, the, the chores that they set for the house, the kind of education they decide you get, the kind of clothes that are appropriate in this house, all of those sorts of, the language you use, the movies you watch, all right? We often hear kids say, and I know I said it growing up, but that family, you know, that kid, that son, he got to do this, and my parents' most frequent response was not, well, we're better than them, you know, uh, or, 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 yeah, well, his, his dad's a messed up, you know, no. No, the response was, well, they're not your parents. Valid or invalid, sinful or righteous, whatever that other family are doing, that's not your family. You, 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 you work by a different set of rules because you have different parents. So, so he speaks of the, obe- the behavior being obedience. But look at what verse 2 says. He also speaks about, in quoting the Ten Commandments, he also speaks about your heart. And he says, honor your mother and father. That means that, that if your parents tell you to do something, and I'm talking to the children, but we all need to hear this. When your parents tell you to do something, obedience does not mean huff and puff, stomp and throw the tantrum and yell, but go and do what they said. It means obeying and honoring. In the heart, we say, I need to honor you, which means I give you the respect you deserve. You're my dad, given by God. You're commanded to tell me what to do. I'm commanded to obey you. We love each other. I should do what you say. Yes, dad. Extra points if you say, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. My son's gone through a phase where he says, yes, sir, and wanted to call me father because he saw it on a movie. Well, that's cool. We're welcoming that. Not a rule, not a law, but that's good. That's good. Set an example for the younger ones. But in your heart, you say, yes, dad, yes, mom, and with your body, you obey also. Obey and honor. But he also tells you why to obey them. He's not just an apostle who's going to tell you what to do. He wants to inform your minds, teenagers. You want to you understand why is it this way? He's going to explain why you need to obey your parents and honor them. And the first thing he says is because it's right. Look at verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. In other words, this is how the world works. That's just, that's just the, the beginning and the end of it. You, you can fight this obedience to your parents thing if you want but it is like trying to 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 reject the fact that the sun will burn you okay I'm not sure I agree with this whole sunburn conspiracy and and I don't want to bend my knee to Mr. Mr. Big Farmer who sells the sunscreen or the hats or who's making money out of this whole deal I don't want to wear collared shirts whatever you're acting in rebellion against this whole be protected from the sun thing but you know what you go outside and spend an hour in the sun you'll be burned Ultimately, what your parent is just saying is, this is the way the world works. You can try and jig up a new solar system if you want, but this is the planet we live in. In the same way, Paul is just saying, don't fight gravity. Don't try and breathe hydrogen dioxide, which is water for the, for the public schoolers. <clears throat> yeah, uh, we're having fun tonight. <laughs> He's saying, just don't fight the way the world works. It will not work. That is an absolute fact. That's what it means for God to have made the world this way. God made the world with up, up, down, down. Gravity pulls down to greater objects. The sun is hot. And parents have the right to tell you what to do. And so as much as you might think, well, it's my right to reject that, it will only be that way towards your destruction towards your downfall. You'll hate your life. I don't know a single, this is honesty, I do not know a single person 
who lived a rebellious, strike out against my parents, live my own way kind of teenager. I don't know a single person who lived that way and has not come to profoundly regret it. I don't know somebody who's gone, you know, I'm glad I had those years, but I'm, I'm a bit more respectful. No, I know men who grow up and say, I wish I was more respectful to my parents. I wish I took on their wisdom. I wish I didn't get hurt, have a horrible relationship, do all of these terrible things that, that, that led from that. Every, and you know what? If they don't think that way, they never grew up. And they're still just kids in adult bodies. And it shows. So, so you can either fight the way the world works, Paul is saying, or you can walk in the way, in, in sync, in, in alignment with the way God made the whole world. It is right to obey your parents. The most stable, mature, satisfied people in the world are the people who grew up and learned to obey their parents. But he gives us a second, second reason. Look at this. He says, because that's right. And then he says another one. And also, because God commanded it. He quotes the Ten Commandments and says, honor your father and mother. So he's pulling on scripture. In other words, it's how God made the world. But also, it's what God spoke into the world with his law. When he made just ten points of most important law, one of them was obey your mother and father. You know what? He said that before he said don't murder. He said that before he said don't commit adultery. This is very important. Obey your parents. The law of God is quoted here, the Ten Commandments, from both Deuteronomy and Exodus is what he quotes, but before we get to the promise of the blessing, here's the fact, it's how the world works, it's God's law, therefore, if you're a living, breathing human being, you are required to obey this command, obey your parents and honor them. But because Paul loves you, and because God loves us, and because I love you, and because your parents love you, he's also given an encouraging, motivating promise of blessing to be a motivation. So it's not just because I said so. It's not just because the world works this way. It's not just because God says so. Even more than that, it's because God has promised a blessing to children who obey their parents. So look at the, the next verse. Verse 3. Uh, sorry, end of verse 2. This, the fifth commandment, obey, honor your mother and father, this is the first commandment with a promise. And then he quotes it. He says, that it may go well with you, which is a quote from Deuteronomy 5, version of the Ten Commandments. And then he says, and that you may live long in the land, which is a quote from Exodus chapter 20, Ten Commandments. And, and so what Paul is saying is, there is, if you just go through, child, think of it this way. You may not agree with everything your parents say. You may not love everything they tell you to do. You may, not, you may grow up and run a household differently, sure. Here's what God is saying, though. If you just trust him with your childhood, that in your few years, maybe even 15, that's when you know everything, if, in your, if you can just trust that in 15 years, in your 15 years, you don't know more than God, if that's a possibility, which I would submit is the case, if that's true, then God says, trust me. Trust me by walking through this one door called obey your parents. And if you walk through this one door called obey your parents, there will be on the other side a thousand blessings from a whole bunch of accidental acts of obedience. You see? That if you just learn as a child, you have godly parents, and your one rule is obey them, you know what you'll do? You'll go to church, because they'll take you to church. 
You know what you'll do? You'll love your neighbor. Why? Because they'll teach you to love your neighbor. You will respect your parents. Why? Because they tell you to respect them. You, you will not steal. Why? Because you, you memorize the Ten Commandments? No, because your parents told you not to steal. Now, hopefully, they also taught you the Ten Commandments. But even if they didn't, they told you what to do. So, so through the one door of obeying your mother and father, there is a thousand other blessings and a thousand other accidental acts of obedience to God's law. That is how it works. And what we need to be careful to do is not over-spiritualize the blessing that we're told here. In Deuteronomy 5, the commandment says, Honor your mother and father, so that it may go well with you. And in Exodus chapter 20, it says, Honor your mother and father, so that you may live long in the land that God promised your forefathers, which would be Canaan, the promised land. Now, of course, what Paul does geniusly and intentionally is say, I'm not writing to an old covenant Jewish people living in the promised land. I'm writing to a new covenant people of God living in the whole world as a people of God in the temple of God, as Ephesians has told us. These are the people of God now, and there is no such thing as a promised land, physical, geopolitical, for the people of God anymore. So, if he quoted it in full, quoted Exodus and Deuteronomy in full, and said, Obey God, so that in the land you dwell, God's promised land, you will never lose it and you'll live long, we would all say, Underwood? Underwood is the promised land? Not only is that hard to believe by sight, I also don't see that in the Bible. And, and, and we would be right to ask it. So Paul doesn't say... In this, because that was the old covenant promise, if you obey your parents, you will have long generational blessings being applied to you Israelites in the promised land of Israel, not our covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus doesn't, doesn't take away a blessing and say, oh, you don't get land. He upgrades the blessing and say, the whole world is mine. All the nations will be my heritage. I'm going to make this whole thing Christian. Amen. And we get an even better land in heaven. And one day when he joins the two and the new heaven and the new earth are made in full, we will, the, the, the meek will inherit the entire unfallen, glorified earth. Jesus always upgrades old covenant blessings every single time. But to those in the new covenant, Paul says, what is the blessing for us? It's, he, still, he does quote some of the law and he says, the principles that do apply for even the new covenant Christians and the children is, if you obey and honor your parents, you get long life and happiness. Things will go well with you and you'll have a great long life. The danger I said we need to avoid is over-spiritualizing that and say, well, because we're in the new covenant, that just means eternal life in heaven and that just means spiritual feel-good blessings, but not any actual physical blessings, right? And I would say no. What Paul is blessing, what Paul is promising is saying, no prosperity gospel nonsense, okay? We're not going to say that the guy in prison is promising wealth and, and fame and great relationships your whole life. That's stupid. The guy in prison is saying that there is real life, earth-grounded, basic, feet-on-the-ground blessings that come from being obedient children. In other words... Paul's not saying with this promise, he's not talking about God's sovereign secret will. He's not saying if you're obedient, you'll never get sick and die young. You'll never get in a boat or a car crash and die. He's not saying that. He's saying that as long as it depends on you, if your childhood, teenage years, young adulthood is marked by obedience and respect towards your parents, 
You will be the kind of person that is emotionally, mentally stable, that can hold down a job, that can be a responsible citizen of your, of your nation or your community. You will, be a, you will be somebody who in this life receives many common grace blessings. I'm not going to shy away from that truth. That is the blessing God holds out. So that where we see broken families or enmity between fathers and children, we see statistically breakdown of the life where fatherlessness or child abuse happens or, or, or a broken relationship between child and parents, and especially father, what we see is higher imprisonment, higher drugs and alcohol, higher crime, higher early sex, higher teenage pregnancies, higher abuse, higher suicide, higher everything bad. So Paul already told us this long ago. We know, we know this not because the stats tell us, but because the Bible tells us. Honoring obedient children make tremendous, uh, receive many tremendous blessings from God in the future. So, children or young, young person, do you want to please the Lord? Obey and honor your parents as much as you possibly can, then plus some. Not just on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Every day is Mother's Day and Father's Day. Do you want, young men, Boys, teenagers, do you want to grow up to be the kind of guy other people can rely on, people look up to, and are doing good things for God in the world? Then right now, learn how to obey your dad, learn how to respect your parents, learn how to honor your mom. Women, do you want to grow up to be the kind of woman the Bible would say, look at her, do what she suggests? She's a, she's a praiseworthy example of womanhood. You want that? Then now... Cultivate obedience and honor towards your parents in your family. That's to the children. And God will give tremendous blessings to you if you do that. Now in verse 4, the husbands, the fathers, they just get one verse and he keeps it simple. Some of your translations will in fact have parents instead of fathers. And that's not altogether helpful. The actual Greek will be translated directly as fathers. But we know that Paul's view of the family, husbands and fathers are under God as head over the home, wives submit lovingly to them, and father and mother as helper rule over the children. We know that when he says fathers, he is speaking through the fathers to the mothers, but of course in, in the biblical dynamic of a home, the wife, the mother is acting with the husband's delegated authority. So he speaks to the fathers, and I will speak to the fathers particularly, but that doesn't mean that if you're a single mom, this doesn't apply to you. This doesn't mean that uh, if, if, if your husband's not a Christian, then you're lost in the world. This doesn't mean that, but it does mean ordinarily, God would speak first to the fathers and say, get your home in order. So he says in verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke them to anger. That is his first command. Men can, fathers can, provoke their children to anger <coughs> by not teaching them verse 1, 2, and 3. The first way you provoke your children to anger is not teaching them to obey and honor you. When we look at the Ten Commandments... Theologians often say the first four commandments are about God. Don't worship other gods, don't have idols, don't use his name in vain, and worship him on the Sabbath. And then they say, now, 
5 through 10 tell us how to love neighbor, right? Love God, love neighbor. And, and, it, and the first way to love neighbors is by starting with our closest neighbors, our parents. I agree, maybe only on this issue, I agree with the ancient Jewish scholars, with a bunch of other Christian scholars who agree with this too, and they say, I think it's 5 and 5. The last five are about how to love your neighbors. The first five are primarily about how to love God. That means that honor your father and mother is not primarily a family commandment. It is primarily a theological commandment. The Puritans used to explain this dynamic like this. They say, in the home is a little school for life. Through the father's rule and teaching and authority and admonition, the child is learning about God. You represent God to them with your behavior and your leadership. And therefore, in the home, they learn how to, how to respect their teachers at school. They learn how to respect their, their uncles and aunties through their parents. They learn how to be good neighbors in community because they're learning with their brothers and sisters. They're learning how to be good citizens because they know what it means to have authority over them and say, yes, sir. They, they, they will, they, you know, and they know how to be good church members because in the home, their first pastor, their father, taught them how to respect authority and, and respect the word of God. So in other words, in every area that your child is going to grow up into, they will learn how to do it best through their parents. That means that how they view God, the, before they understand the catechism, before they know the confession, before they can read the Bible, their first thoughts about God is, are formed by their father. That means that if you do not teach them and require obedience of them, that is, that if you're walked all over because you just can't be bothered with the discipline, mum's the disciplinarian, I, you know, too many rules, I don't mind, I'm a fun dad. If you get walked all over, or if you let them disrespect you, that is, that you promote a breaking of the fifth commandment by letting them disrespect you, then you will be held accountable for all of the disrespect and disobedience that they give to their teachers, their pastors, the government, law enforcement, their employers, and God. Do not neglect this. You teach them, dad doesn't care, it mustn't matter all that much. Disrespect and disobedience isn't a big problem to dad. It must not be a big problem in life. And they impute that to God, their boss, the government, and everything else. So, when God says to fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, I think the first way you can provoke them is by negligence. Don't tell them how the world works. Leave them completely in the blue about this whole thing called authority and obedience. That is a way to provoke them to anger. They will despise you for it. Do not let them walk all over you. But the second way to provoke them is by heavy-handedness. That is that your fatherly authority is utilized and dominates them and, and, and is harassing and is intimidating and is mocking and, and makes fun of them and, and makes them feel weak so that you feel strong. Because what do they learn then? God loves authority because he gets to squish us like ants. He loves being in control because he gets his way all the time. That's not how God shows us his love as a father in the Bible. 
And then what do they think about everything else? They think, well, my boss is just a, is just a, a guy, who, a jerk who got, who got one up over me in life. And, and so who cares what he thinks? And, and my teachers, oh, they're all jerks as well. And, and the pastors, oh, he's just a spiritual version of dad manipulating people and bullying them around. Look at how angry he gets. Uh, uh, and, and the government, stuff the government, they, they, they're just institutionalized oppressors. And so they become little Marxists who want to revolt and throw off the tyranny of the government. Why? Because you didn't teach them the goodness of authority. You need to teach them authority, but you need to teach them the goodness, the loving kindness of God through your authority. Fatherly authority is like breath to a flame. When you have a tiny little flame, maybe you're you're just building the campfire, and one little leaf has been caught on by the little match. And you're not a cheater. You don't use fire starters. You're a real man. You use matches and leaves like Adam had. And so you have a little leaf, and it's just starting to catch flame. Now, if at that moment you blow on it, we all know that for a flame to grow hotter, it needs an intake of air and oxygen, so we blow on it. If you blow on it at that point, it'll blow out. It's like a small candle, and it's easily extinguished. If you let it catch a little bit more and you, 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 you cultivate it picking up oxygen naturally from around it, once it's established a bit more and some of the, the thicker wood is starting to be licked by the flames, then you can take a breath to it and it will heat up and grow. When I was camping recently, I, I, I got one started and I didn't want to test my dizziness by blowing on the, on the fire again because I almost face-planted one time. And so I grabbed the blower and I just sat there as the flames picked up and I hit the blower. And this enormous coals fire, a fire filled with coals, good for cooking, was ready in a couple of minutes, which would normally take hours. When children are young, they're like a small flame. And a little bit of breath can extinguish them and can be harsh to them and and bulldoze them. You need to cultivate loving kindness so that they they grow some of that. And then gently and slowly, as they grow under your fatherly care, you bring in that authority and it makes them bigger and stronger and more unstoppable. But if you come in too hard at the beginning, like a blower on a birthday cake, you will extinguish them. You will crush them. They They will despise your authority. And so he says, do not provoke them, but nurture them. The ESV says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the law, of the Lord. This word, bring, bring them up, the Greek word behind it, is in fact the same Greek word that he used about husbands and wives when he said, husbands nourish and cherish their own body, so also to your wives. This word nourish is the word for bring them up. That means that Paul wants to say to fathers of your children, one of the most fundamental, important things to to, to cultivate in your relationship and atmosphere of the home is a nurturing benevolence, a loving kindness. That as a gardener, you're not going to come in while they're a little sapling and try and rip them up to grow them. You're going to come to them and make sure the weeds are out of the way. You're going to reassure them of your love, give them a good, healthy atmosphere. You're going to encourage and give water that is needed. And as they strengthen, then you can give more and more urgency. Fathers need to not be harsh. This is what Colossians 3 says. Do not be harsh with your wives. Do not provoke your children. Right? Harshness is one of the key sins of men, especially masculine men. And so Paul wants to say, remember fatherly gentleness. Remember fatherly gentleness. 
And then he says instruction. Well, he says discipline first, but we'll get there. First is instruction. He says, nurture them up. And one of the things you need to be giving them to help them grow is instruction. Instruction. That means teaching. And and it, it means more than just biblical teaching, but it definitely includes that. You need to teach them about the Word of God, about the commandments of God in Ephesians 6 and the fifth commandment. You need to teach them God's requirements of them. You need to teach them why you love their mom and what a family is and what a family is not and who you're allowed to talk to and who you're not allowed to talk to and what a friend is and what a creepy stranger is and and what a church is and what a false church is and what the truth is and what a lie is and what a sin is and what righteousness is. Fathers need to teach their children, in other words, how the world works. You need to teach them how the world works through the lens of the Bible. That is not just scripture memorization, but give them a worldview so that through the lens of the Bible, they can see everything. Van Til, Cornelius Van Til, he said, he was a theologian of the, of the 20th century, and he said that the Bible is authoritative in everything to which it speaks. And moreover, it speaks to everything. That is, the Bible is not a parenting manual or a science textbook, but it does speak to those things authoritatively as the voice of God. And so also, we need to teach our children that that the Bible won't tell us the ins and outs of human genetics, but whatever you're learning in science, whatever you're learning at school, whatever we're teaching you at home, whatever it is, you need to see it all through the lens of Jesus' lordship and God's word that he has breathed into the Bible. I think this also means, one of the key ways I want dads to think about it, the key way to think about this is that you are a dad standing on, a, on, a, on your roof showing your children the fence line. There is a way to be a father and try and teach our kids that is just micromanaging. Here's what you can do, here's what you can do in this situation, here's what you do, here's what I did, here's what Uncle Dan did, here's this, this, here's this, this. And, we, and we fill them with too many commandments. Rather, we need to show them where the boundaries are. Here's what's sin. And you know what? Everything up until that is good. Here's what is sin. And everything else is is a gift from God. Here's what you don't do with your body. But here's how to glorify God. So you're showing them in terms of relationships with other people, in terms of social norms, in terms of biblical truth, in terms of how to act out in public or how to act in church. What you're doing is showing to them My son, my daughter, look at the boundaries. Because what that naturally does then is emphasize the liberation and the freedom within the boundaries. It's not just a very thin path. Here's the one way to live. Here's how I did it. Here's how you need to do it. Here's how how we Fords do it. But rather, here's what the Lord says don't do. And everything else within is as long as it's done in submission to God, a good way to live. And I think this is is a, a... Honest and and a parallel of what God did in the garden. The first father, our God, when he spoke to Adam and Eve, he didn't give them a comprehensive list of trees they were allowed to eat of and things they were allowed to do in the garden, in the bedroom, in their marriage, whatever. He simply gave them two commandments. Enjoy everything I made, it's for you. And the second, don't eat that one tree that will kill you. So in other words, everything else was good to do. God showed them the boundaries. Adam was supposed to teach his children and his wife the boundaries, and everything else in was good. So fathers, show your kids the boundaries. 
show your kids the fence lines where God's word speaks to our whole world and you will do them good. It is your responsibility, whatever else you, you delegate out, maybe they're teaching, maybe some tutoring, whatever else, you take primary responsibility for them learning how God's world works. And then he says discipline. Nurture them in the discipline of the Lord. This means that in your instructions, when you're showing them the fence line, just like God did, you include in that instruction the consequences of sinning against God and your own consequences that you will punish them with as a loving father. So they know what to expect. This is what God did with Adam and Eve. If you do this, here's the punishment to expect. And then he came in swiftly and dealt out consequences. And so fathers also need to do this. With their wives is when you're instructing your children what the rules are, how the world works, you need to tell them these are the consequences you can expect. I've got, I've got three things. CCP of faithful Christian fathering, and I know that sounds like the Chinese Communist Party, and I'm sorry. I don't want you to father or parent like the Chinese Communist Party. That being said, the CCP of godly parenting. <clears throat> I don't think I can trademark that. Consequences, consistency, and proportionality. Consequences. You're teaching them what will happen if they overstep the boundaries. Consistency. When they do it, and every time they do it, you meet them with the aforementioned consequences. You, they, they, they sin in that way. You, it's not once every fifth or tenth time you do it, they do it, then they get punished by dad. But the consequences are always there because dad takes rule, order, and authority from God and my future as his child seriously. If you are inconsistent, inconsistent with consequences, sometimes they get punished, sometimes they don't, sometimes the rules are just flexible anyway, depending on how dad feels, you are teaching them, without them realizing it, you are teaching them that that is what God is like. And yeah, maybe he cares about that person's sin, and, and he definitely cares about the people you don't like, their sin, so dob on them like you do your younger brother, and he definitely cares about it when he's in a rage, but ultimately God's not all, all, too, all too miffed about this sin thing. And without realizing it, you're undermining the very essence of the atonement of Jesus Christ, God's hatred for sin, the goodness and inflexibility of God's law. So that is not to say that parents should be harsh, it is to say you should be consistent. And I say lastly, proportionality. If the punishment for spilling milk is a whack on the head, you've got problems. You are abusing and, and, and provoking your child to hate you. You are teaching them lies about God. If them stepping on your favorite pair of shoes is a huge barraging yelling contest and you throw them into the room and lock the door, you are lying to them about God. If, on the other hand, them yelling off at your wife meets with a, hey, come on, not tonight, we have friends over, you are lying to them about God's seriousness, you are lying to them about the severity of sin, and you are lying to them about the value of honoring God. The, 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 the consequences and punishments need to be in line, therefore proportionate, with the degree of the sin. Don't come heavy-handed, inconsistently, blowing way out of the water for small mistakes. Don't punish mistakes. Only punish sins. And therefore, I leave you with the CCP of godly parenting. Chinese, communist, no. Consequences, consistency, and proportionality. As fathers, 
labor for these. Now, what we have in a very obvious way tonight in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 to 4 is God's good law. And the law of God is wise. His precepts are beautiful. His word is wonderful. Amen? Amen. The problem with God's law is that it leaves us all short and condemned. Not a single child can say fifth commandment. Ephesians 6, 1 nailed that perfectly. No parent, no father can look at Ephesians 6, 4 or any of the Ten Commandments and say, done it perfectly. The law is God's unbending, unflinching, perfect standard and every one of us that is measured up against it is found wanting, found guilty, found sinful and condemned. Enter in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why God did not leave us with Jordan Peterson-esque parenting rules and advice and a self-help book and here's how to be good and I'll send Jesus to be an example as a prophet. No, God's law is good, but it condemns us. Enter in the gospel of Jesus, but he says not what you need to do, but what Jesus did for you. Not what you need to obey, but what you need to believe. And what you need to believe is that Jesus was perfect instead of you. Jesus died instead of you. Jesus resurrected for you. Jesus now lives in heaven representing all who come to God through him. And he will come back one day to judge the sinners who did not believe in him and to bring the sinners who trusted in him to a heavenly eternal abode. Therefore, have you believed in Jesus? That's the ultimate. We're not, are you a good child? Have you been a good father or mother? Do you believe in Jesus? That is the ultimate question. By trusting in him, have your sins gone to his account and been paid for? Are you a Christian? And then the next question becomes, if you are a Christian, do you know what happens to the law? It's resurrected. The law condemned you and Jesus died for it. But he, one of the blessings Jesus gives to us as his children is his law. No longer as a judge, no longer as a judge to condemn you, but as a guide to teach you. And so Paul brings up in Ephesians chapter 6, look at the Ten Commandments. Walk according to God's law. See God's wisdom in parenting and being a child. That will be God's blessing for you. So let's be a people that do not confuse obedience with faith or being good with being forgiven by faith alone. But let's not also throw out the law of God and say how we live is of little consequence. Let us chase after the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let us seek to have Christian families honoring God, but always and ever teaching our children and ourselves. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you because you are the father of us all. And there are people in the room who do not know their father's or who regret the fact that they do, because they have lied about you, and they've misrepresented you, and they have provoked their children to anger, so that those people who, who know their fathers see a neglectful or abusive anti-God, a, a, a false God being shown to them through their father. But God, you are the father of all. You call yourself the father of the, of the orphan, and therefore, if we don't have a godly, loving example of a father to look to, we have God. We are adopted into your family and then welcomed into the church, the family of families, to be helped and loved and guided and upbuilt and uplifted. Father God, there is also others who have been those evil fathers. They have provoked their child in years past or they are currently rude and mean and, 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 and harsh against their children that you have given to them to show your love to. 
Father God, we pray not just for repentance and and not just for feeling guilty, but for swift repentance that is change in their behavior. Father God, there are, there are uh, others anywhere in between the spectrum, Lord God, that, that we, we, we've been trying, but we could do better. We need lots of advice or, or something like that. And all of us, whether woman, male, child, grandmother, whatever we are, Lord God, all of us can come to your throne together and acknowledge that we're sinners condemned by our sin, but sinners forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So please... Would you encourage us and equip us and empower us, not to a profession or an outward show of Christianity, but to a genuine, heartfelt, life-living Christianity that affects our family first, then the church, and then our broader community. Father God, for anybody that has not bent their knee to the lordship and kingship of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, if anybody has not believed in his death in their place and his glorious resurrection, if anybody is still in their sin, please tonight give their hearts faith to rest in him and trust in him and reject their self-righteousness. We love you, Lord God. We thank you for Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.